Well, you're listening to SAFM Literature, and it's around about this time that we're going to have ourselves a bit of a story, and our story today is a documentary that's going to take you to another place altogether, to a small town in South Devon, what they call the English Riviera, where we'll hear about some of their stories past and present in seafood, steam trains, and smugglers. Second World War, 60 years ago. They stopped for the war, didn't they? And then they formed again afterwards. And they've been doing it ever since. Brixham is a little fishing town on the south coast of Devon in the UK. They have a very lively town brass band who in season come down to play twice a week in the Harbour Square. We do a charity about twice a year, don't we, for others. We've done one this year for the Pride of Brixham. But the main thing is for us because um, we are not subsidised by anybody. They have to pay for our uniforms, our instruments, music and things like that. Musicians come from all around the area. They certainly draw in the crowds. They don't make a fortune, but they do well enough. And they give the quaint uh, holiday town a very personal sense of pride. But essentially, Brixham is a fishing port bringing in huge catches of fish on a daily basis. A beam trawler would go see on a Monday. He would land for the coming in on Sunday, the following Sunday, and land for the Monday market, which we would sell his fish. We'd pay the crew, and they would go again on that Tuesday then. They'd have a couple of days off and go, a day, go straight away again on the Tuesday. The fish comes into the market on the Monday's market, gets auctioned, processed, sent to its customers, boat to throat, you know, as soon as it can. Barry Young is director at the Brixham Trawler Agents. He's also chief auctioneer, which means he's up early each morning negotiating the catch and the huge fish sheds. What's the again? 4.80. 4.50. 4.5, 4.10. 4.10, 4.10, 4.20. 4.20, 4.30, 30.40. So who are the trawler agents? 4.60. Well, probably 25 to 30 years ago, uh, the fishing industry in Brixham had nobody to sell their fish through because the current one um, went bankrupt. Um, so a group of fishermen and crews and families all put money in to start up this cooperative that we're running now. And it's a shareholding company and each year we pay out dividends to all our shareholders. A daily basis, we probably turn over about... 30 tonnes of fish. Yearly value of the fish that we turn over is 25 to 26 million pounds worth. Barry himself left school at the age of 16 and went to sea in a Beamer trawler. But he's come a long way since those early days. I've worked for Brixham Trawler Agents. Well, no, I suppose we should go really go back to when I left school at 16 years old. I got a job on a trawler and went to sea for five to six years. 
left sea because of illness and got a job at, at bricks and trawler agents washing boxes and over the last sort of 20 years I've worked my way up the ladder to become one of the directors of bricks and trawler agents. But whilst the fishing industry has kept Brixham afloat for generations, fishing can be a precarious profession, both for the fishermen and their families. The Fisherman's Mission is a charity set up many, many, many years ago that supports fishermen if they're ever in need or if any tragedy happens to a fisherman, they support the family, and which is something we're all very, very much involved in and we all um, raise funds for. We have big events. We have fish stock, which is... Um, we probably have in excess of 6,000 people that come here on, a, on a one day. We have a festival of the sea sort of thing. We have music and fish and we drink beer and games and things like that, which is held once a year. And there's probably uh, 10 to 15 to 20,000 pounds a year raised for that to go towards that charity. And then we have trawler race once a year. The trawlers race around the bay to see who's the fastest boat and the money goes to the fisherman's mission then. We have all sorts of tri charity auctions, but the Fisherman's Mission is there primarily to support a family in the hour of need. But with the new safety and sustainability measures in place, fishing is a much healthier business these days, but will it always be? I think we'd have to go to Brussels to get the real answer, um, but I do believe as long as it's managed properly and sustainably, there's no reason why we can't have a, a fantastic future in the fishing industry. So, fish may be here to stay on the menu, but how much of the daily catch in English waters ends up on English tables? I would like a lot more of it to stay in the UK, but unfortunately a lot of it does get exported because our friends in the continent have had very, very good education about fish, and we do lack that in the UK. But mind you, fish is becoming a lot more trendier in the UK, so a lot of it is starting to stay in the bigger cities now, your Londons and Manchesters and places like that, fish is staying. I would imagine that obviously it's becoming close to 50-50 now, but sort of certain species, 90% of it's getting exported, like your cuttlefish and things like that. But generally on the general fish that we have there, the, the bass, the dover soles, the plaice, the sea, you know, the bream, the brills, the turbots, they're all sort of becoming 50-50 export, 50-50 UK sort of thing. Nonetheless, fishing is a lucrative business. Yeah, he's up sort of, I don't know, 25,000 pounds a week for his five to six days at sea. It'll probably burn about 12,000 litres of fuel. It's very expensive on fuel, these fishing, but well, I don't think they're, they're expensive on fuel. I think it's the price of the fuel, so uh, they do everything to run their fishing boats economically, but obviously the price of the fuel is a big hit for them. So it does cost them generally about sort of seven, eight, nine, ten, depending on the size of your engine, depending on how efficient you are, anything from the bigger ones, seven to ten thousand to twelve thousand pounds worth of fuel a week. A lot of the stuff, the lifeboats and things like that, the life rafts, they're all rented. There's always things going wrong, so they deduct a thousand pound a week for anything that may go wrong, sort of thing. It's, the owner gets 60% and the crew are left with the remaining 40%, which they get a percentage of. And I suppose if we're left on a sort of average week and we're left with between eight, 800, 600, 800 pounds, we'd be happy. But in the cuttle season, we'd be looking for double that as a crew member but then we all have to pay our own tax, our own insurance, because we're self-employed as fishermen. So. The man who knows his seafood, which is why Barry's able to give a very educated, well-informed early morning tour around the sheds and the fishing fleet. And he'll be in like four or five o'clock this evening now, the constant friend. He's going off for his day spratting. 
That's what he's. That, that's his mainstay of fishing. He loved this sprat fishing. His Dave. That's all Dave does is sprat fishing. Oh yeah. The, the, the seals come to see you. Has anyone got any fish? That's what it is, is it? After the fish. Yeah. You'd have to wonder if uh, someone in his business ever takes time out to do fishing himself. Yeah, quite often. Going out this weekend fishing, angling. But I only go with the commercial boys because I know I'm guaranteed to catch a fish then. But the seas around Brixham are not just for fishing, they're for sailing too. If you look over our left hand side, you'll get your best view of the Dartmouth Castle and its surrounding grounds. It's not the original, it's actually the third one to stand on this site, following some severe French raids. But it was the first in the country to be designed for the use of our fence artillery, which was using cannon against shipping instead of the use of defence, using the boiling oil and long bows. You can see some of the ruins of the original castles in behind. In the centre there, you can see a lot of people sat outside that building there, that's the castle tea rooms, very popular for level cream tea. And these days, the lookout tower, the Grand Battery and the castle are run by the English Heritage as a museum that is open to the public if you do have any time here in the local area. By far the best way to visit. Well, apart from the castle and the cream teas, the joys of the River Dart are the town of Dartmouth itself, and also the opportunity to hop on a good old-fashioned steam train. A lot of trade enthusiasts, yeah. Uh, it is a very challenging line, especially for a heritage line. We have very steep gradients, both uh, going up to Churston and then going down to the other side to Paynton. Most, um, I could say quite a lot of heritage railways are sort of fairly flat track with not an awful lot of structures to sort of excite people. So a lot of people come here to see that. Andrew Pooley is the MD of the Dartmouth Steam Railway and Riverboat Company and he's got the history of steam train at his fingertips. Thomas Newcomb was the person that designed and built the very first ever uh, steam engine which funnily enough was here in Dartmouth. Um, many people think it's Travothic or Stevenson, but it wasn't, it was Lukeman. Um He's well celebrated locally, in fact there's a model of his engine in Dartmouth in the, in the Tourist Information Centre. There's another chap called Seal Hain, who was one of the people that raised the money to actually get the railway here, and funnily enough ran the first steamboat company as well. And finally um, Brunel, who designed the line. Isambard Kingdom Brunel. Unfortunately, he didn't see the line open. He uh, died before then, but he designed all the structures like the um, three viaducts, the tunnel, and all the other sort of elements that go to, to, to form the railway as you see it today. So that's today, but what about back in the day? Yeah, they're running in the original way. They're still steamed, so powered by coal. Many of them have actually spent longer in heritage railway use than they were actually under BR days. But there's a huge difference in terms of engines, from engines which were designed for hauling coal up the uh, valleys in Wales to the sort of more stallion-like locos like the Manor, which was for sort of medium-haul uh, coachwork. Originally, Kingsweir was the main coaling station for coal that was went to Tor Bay to be converted for gas lighting. So that's how they actually generated all the gas lighting in the area. So it was a huge coal bunkering area. On top of that, you had from Brixham the fish. So the fish is world renowned and was shipped up to London to get to the, to the London markets and on beyond uh, for a long time. And of course, there was a huge boom in tourism in this area. So a large number of people came down using trains in those days to go on holiday. I suppose the other factor is that obviously the roads were very poor in those days then turnpike roads didn't come until well after the railways uh, and then either you used the railway or you used some of the paddle steamers up the river dart and we have a paddle steamer here today but one thing of which you can be sure in terms of getting around this area that they call the english riviera there are certainly plenty of options 
loads and loads of different options. Um, as tourism has changed and people's uh, and, and become more adventurous in what they want to do, we try and supply those trips. So now you can go from Torquay, Brixham, Dartmouth, Salcombe, right up to Totnes and all the interchanging uh, operations as well. So we've got an open top bus service. We've got obviously the, the ferries and the steam train and obviously the paddle steamer. Peak season, we can carry, um, I don't know, perhaps something like 10 to 15,000 people. But on average, uh, an annual year for us, we, we work it in terms of passenger journeys rather than actual passengers, but we carry well over a million. Meanwhile, back in the little town of Brixham with all its seaside attractions, there are other rather darker stories to be told. Bob Elliott was actually a smuggler, not a pirate, and he faked his own death, and just so that we could hide, or we didn't, he could hide his gain in his coffin to get his coffin up into the um, Totnes to where he was smuggling his brandy. And then later on that evening, you know, they call him Resurrection Bob, because when the customs men found him, he was still alive and they thought he was a ghost. So even though they just buried him, because what they basically did, they buried the gain and then dug it up again later on. Well, there are any number of these kinds of legends doing the rounds in Brixham, but there's one place in which you can hear them in all their chillingly simulated reality, at the Smugglers and Pirates Experience. Ah, welcome, my friends. Let me introduce myself. I'm Brixham's parson. The Reverend Light, and I would like you kind folk to join me on a journey back to Brixham. Brixham, almost 200 years ago. Back then, the fishing boats would be coming into this very harbour, safe after another stormy night. But for now, I'm going to tell you a story of love and adventure, life and even death. Oh, so... Here we are, trapped amongst the storm-blasted walls of Brixham's cottages. In fact, this is the very cottage of one Jack Rattenbrink, fisherman by day, infamous smuggler by night. Well, that is the voice of the legendary reincarnated Reverend Light, who back in the 1700s famously wrote the hymn, Abide With Me. But let's hear from the man behind this extraordinary experience. My name's Adam. We've been operating now the Smugglers and Pirates for two years. Um, we build our story bigger each year. So every year we close down in February and we redo our attraction for opening the end of March, beginning of April. So every year we do more research so our story gets better and better and better. So, what's it all about? It's a true story. We go back to 200 years, back into Brixham night, and we join Jack Rattenbury, who was our local smuggler from Beer, that controlled the smuggling between Beer and the other side of Brixham on the way down to Dartmouth. And he was in charge of getting the goods in. And then we have our Reverend Light, who was a Brixham-based reverend, who looked after all the smuggled game, whose house was Berryhead Hotel, which is a very famous big hotel on the top in the lookout and made him a very wealthy parson. Also famous because he wrote Abide With Me, which is a famous hymn all around the world. 
and between the two they tell you the story and we bring it back to life and rather than have words that you read we actually have made film screens projections to bring it to life very sort of disney-fied but very different so that we get it from whether you're three years old or a hundred years old it runs at two parallels so young ones go through and they understand it in a fun way and the older ones still get the true history as they go along they were smuggling wool which was very important because there was a ban on wool leaving the country so they smuggled out as well as in so you couldn't take wool out of england for instance so obviously france needed wool so wool went out then we got brandy in we got medicines in we got tea in herbs in tobacco in different types of foods came in bear in mind that you had several times over that period where you had failed crops in this country an island as well which meant that they brought food from europe into the country and it made food obviously sell at a higher price so it was worth getting it in so who were the smugglers and pirates up against what was their experience you, you had the customs and that's who you were avoiding the customs so they passed several laws, for instance, hovering. You couldn't hover within six miles of the coast or you'd be arrested. So they would seize the whole ship if you were in a six-mile radius of the land. So um, it was all done, you know, at night, hidden. We had the coves, we had the tunnels. There's a lot of tunnels under Brixham, which lead down to the sea, as well as like Sheldon, Timmouth, Babacombe. Obviously, like today, a lot of customsmen, etc., are paid off as well. Everybody takes the take. Nothing changes, life goes on. Well, should you ever find yourself in Brixham, you can do the experience for yourself. We have a pirate festival every May. We have pirate Thursdays every Thursday, which is good fun, um, which is growing all the time. And Brixham's becoming a pirate town. Futuristically, it'll get a lot better. Well, I think the last word on the experience, though, really has to come from the Reverend Light. Did you, my children, manage to find all of my lost coins? I believe there were eight hidden coins in our little story. Go now, visit the smuggler's refuge through the chapel door yonder and take some well-deserved refreshment after this long night of exertion. Farewell, my dear friends. The question is, is there any treasure still in Denver waters? I think there's treasure everywhere. You've just got to look for the treasure. Well, each of their own choice of holiday activity on the English Riviera, but it's good to know that there's one thing you can always rely on, that the Brixham Town Band will always play on.
That was Seafood, Steam Trains and Smugglers, and that was dedicated to Captain Ronald Saunders Richards.